0: So, before we go to work here, I think we should celebrate just a little bit. Um, our first uh, Project Nick gala happened this, this week, and more than $16,000 were raised to help oh. students. Isn't that cool? I want to thank you for your generosity. That represents 37 kids. Who for an entire year we can feed and clothe and shelter and give an education? 37. And because of another organization called Orphans Hope that is willing to match everything that we do, that just turned into 74 kids who will be cared for for a year. Isn't that cool? For those of you that may not know, we care for about 250 kids, six shelters, and five countries. That means that if you didn't get to be a part of the auction this week or the gala this week, there's still room for you to help. And you can go to project-nick.org, and you can be a part of of, uh, giving in that way, or you can go to actually the church website, even heartoflife.org, and we certainly have um, a link to be able to get you there or a way that you can be a part of helping. I loved the auction because I love watching bidding wars. I love that. I love watching what begins to move and it picks up momentum. And it's just always interesting to me to see what people choose. And there are some times that they choose things and I'm like, well, yeah, because that's what I would choose. But then there are other moments that choices are being made and the price is going up. It's like, Really? That's surprising. Well, we are going through the Gospel of Luke together, and we have come to a section in Luke's story where we're going to learn some things about how Jesus chooses. Uh, Next week, we're going to learn how he chooses those who are going to lead with him. But this week, we're going to even get a bigger picture of how Jesus' whole team is chosen. And I'm telling you, if you were there in the first century when Jesus is is walking and talking and moving, I believe with all my heart that you would have been surprised who made the team. That's what I want to show you today. I welcome you thanks for being a part of today. If you're at any of our campuses today, we welcome you. If you're joining us online, so grateful that we could spend the time together. Here's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 5. We're in chapter 5 this week. I'm going to begin with verse 12. Here's what it says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. It was a most feared disease in that day it was contagious it was incurable it was truly devastating if you got leprosy Uh, leprosy is a term both in the greek and the hebrew language that means scales or scaly all right Because in that day, they they didn't have the benefit of modern medicine. They would often describe a disease by its symptoms. Therefore, scaly skin is the picture. Uh, Leprosy was a common problem in Israel. God spent large sections of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 13, there's like 60 verses where God is just helping them diagnose. here's, Here's what this might be. At first, leprosy was simply thought to be a disease that, this is, ate a person. Because when you saw someone with leprosy, there might be part of their nose is missing. It might be that an ear was missing. It was very common that extremities were missing. Sometimes it would start on the face, just a patch, and then it would spread Sometimes leprosy is is referred to by certain people as as lion's disease because it will so disfigure the face that eventually they have the appearance of a lion. And then the disease even spreads internally to, to internal organs. But here's what we've come to learn. Leprosy is a disease that primarily attacks the nerves and it destroys a person's ability to feel. And so the whole effect with extremities is that literally the the daily routine of life would ground away at those things because there was no warning system that if you touch that, your hand is burning. They didn't feel it. And so over time, just the effect. Um... You twist an ankle, but it's really more than twisting an ankle. You 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 tear a, a a tendon or a muscle. Well, one with leprosy would simply just walk with a limp because they couldn't feel the pain, and therefore it would not heal. This is gross, but in that day, you know, in the middle of the night, it was not highly uncommon that a rat right would be in the same proximity of where people slept, and for a leper. Literally, and I know I'm kind of freaking you out, but sometimes I'm okay with that. A rat could literally chew on the finger, let's say, of a leper, and they not feel it. Being a leper was a worst imaginable condition, horribly disfiguring and isolating because once you got leprosy, no more with your family, no more job, no more friends, n- n- not even, no more worship, n- no more hope. You, they became beggars. And so we're told by Luke that in one of the cities around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is doing ministry, a leper comes to Jesus And in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew makes it really clear. It's the leper who makes this initiative to move toward Jesus. Now, here's why that's a big deal. It was forbidden. That leper could be stoned to death for making such a move. But wouldn't you agree with me that it's not hard to say for that leper? He's thinking, what do I have to lose? If you take my life, Maybe that's my best route because all of this torture, all of this pain ends. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that lepers were to be treated as dead men. And I think we can read that line and just go, well, that's just a line. But come on, to, to treat somebody as though they don't exist. The rabbis said that if you were downwind from a leper, you you needed to be no closer than 150 feet. And if you were upwind, I thought this was interesting from a leper. Six feet. Hmm. Hmm. What a nightmare of social distancing. Your entire life. Pick up verse 12 again, second part. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm going to be honest, I I don't know if this guy fully believes yet that Jesus is God. I don't know, because we're not really given that much information to be certain. But his body language says worship. Uh, In fact, when the Gospel of Matthew tells the story, he he uses the word for worship that is typically only used for worshiping God. And, and, And I love this line, if you are willing. See, in my world, too many times I hear people say, if you use the word if, when it comes to what God can do, then you don't believe if you use the word if, then you are doubting. Can I tell you that is not what the Bible says? If you are willing. For this leper, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not that he is doubting what God can do. He's not doubting Jesus' ability, but he is not in a position to demand anything either. He is aware of his condition He's aware of his brokenness. And I'm saying this leper, it might be more than just that he has leprosy. He may be aware of his condition of sinfulness standing in the presence of one who is completely holy. And so when he says, if you're willing, it's not doubt. It's just he's not coming with any rights. He's not... He's not making any claim on Jesus' healing power. He does not belong to the name it and claim it group. He has a beatitude attitude. He hungers and thirsts for something that he doesn't have, and he's meek, and he's broken, and he's poor in spirit. He has profound needs, but he has no rights, and he knows that Jesus does not have to heal him That's called humility. When I read this story, for for me, it it is quite an analogy for how all of us who have sinned against God actually approach God. Now, that's not the main point of this story, but it's the picture. For me, it's the words desperation. It's the word humility. And it's the word faith. That's what I see in this guy. He's so desperate, he, he knows this could cost him his life, but he's coming to Jesus because where else is he gonna go? And, and there's humility, Lord, if you will. I, I'm not telling you what you gotta do. I realize I have no rights, but I'm, 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 I'm humble before you and then a faith that he knows Jesus can. And I'm telling you, it's the same way that we approach him when we know that we have sinned against God. But come on, it, it is this moment of desperation where without him, there is no life. but I got nothing to demand here. But by faith, I believe in a Jesus who died for my sin and rose from the dead. And when I, by faith, entrust my life to him, he forgives me and he brings me in. Watch where this story goes. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man i'm going to admit to you that early this week when i'm really right pondering this i I got emotional imagining that moment do you know how long since this man has even felt a handshake from anybody and i find it interesting that jesus touched him first He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. That touch, I believe, was compassion. But I also believe that touch was connection. Because Jesus left no doubt in anybody's mind. He's the one, when the healing happened, whose hand was on the man? It is Jesus, no doubt. I told you last week the miracles that Jesus does, it, it attests to his supernatural nature. It, it, it reveals that he really is divine. And by the way, when Jesus does miracles, it's not just to restore, it, it's not just that they are, they are restorative, it, they are also creative. What I mean by that is that when Jesus heals a leper where there is no tissue, there's now new tissue. Where where there are internal organs that are destroyed, now now there are internal organs that that are healthy. It's creative. All the modern so-called healers, I'm saying match that or be quiet in the presence of the true healer. Nobody heals like Jesus. And suddenly on this day for this leper, it, it's new. It's a new day. He can go back to his family. He can go back to friends. He can even make new friends. He can reenter a, a social world. But before he does that, Jesus has instruction for him. Verse 14, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, are you serious? Don't tell anybody, but Go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And when you read this for the first time, if it is your first, don't don't you ask the question, why would Jesus say that? I, I got several possibilities here. I think one possibility is that Jesus actually wants this man to get the bigger picture of what he needs. Because in Leviticus, again, chapter 14, there's also the whole detailed process of how someone who is a leper has to go to the priest and, and all the sequence of events. There are sacrifices and all kinds of things that have to be made in order for them to be declared clean and to be able to re enter society. A part of that process involves two birds. It's just one part. One of those birds is sacrificed, and the blood from that bird is, sac- is, is actually sprinkled on the other bird. And I'm, I don't know how far to take all of that. I'm just saying, come on, that that looks like some pretty obvious imagery to me. The image of one whose life is given, and another who lives because of blood that was shed. All that, to me, it always points to Jesus. But it also says in Leviticus 14 that the person who is there also is sprinkled with the blood. And we, we, we read this stuff and we go, that is just absolutely disgusting. That's a, that, that is disgusting. I'm saying, though, can you imagine? And the answer is probably no. Can you imagine having this disease, right? The day that you found out you had this disease, you knew that your life with your spouse was done. Your life interacting with your kids was done, right? All the people that you love the most, it was done. You have been separated from everything. But suddenly, here he stands, and he's, he's listening to the word being pronounced over him. You are clean. And I'm saying it is, it is a graphic illustration of how God is communicating to even someone who has leprosy, which would be considered just the worst of the worst diseases. God is saying, do you understand there is a bigger problem in you? Because leprosy can eat away at your body it can eventually, right, take this physical body, but there is something eating away at you that is so much deeper that can take your soul. It is your sin, and the only way that sin can be clean is that one would give his life, and blood would be shed, and you, when covered by such sacrifice, would hear the words clean. hmm All the ceremonial system and all the sacrificial system, it pointed to the need for a cleansing from sin. Maybe that's why Jesus said to him, go, go to the priest and do what you know you're supposed to do. Maybe though, it's also that Jesus knows this man needs to enter back in with community again and he can't do that until he's declared clean. God doesn't just want him clean God has designed him to operate with others to operate in community and when I when I'm looking at this this week I'm going what a word for our time because one of the things that I am observing is that in a season in a time In which we, many, have experienced temporary what I'm gonna call isolation for perhaps good reasons of being safe. That is leading to a deception in a lot of people believing that that isolation can be sustained, and it cannot. It cannot. Because God didn't design you to operate in isolation. I don't know, it was about a month or so ago that I was off for a week and I actually watched the service online. And my reaction to watching the service online was wow and whoa. My wow because it was so good. My whoa was uh oh Uh-oh we better know what God says about being together because if we're not careful, now don't, don't misunderstand me. Some of you are still watching online because you need to stay safe and do not hear me say that that is, that is wrong. I, I think there's wisdom in some of you. Hopefully, you're gonna be able to take some steps that, that, that are coming here soon that'll help this process continue to unfold. I am not telling you that that's wrong, but I am telling us together that there's gonna come a time that making the decision to re-engage with God's people is a must in your life if you are going to follow him and grow in him. Does it mean you always got to be in the room with, with me? No. It can mean that you're watching even from somewhere else, but you're not alone. And it's not just your family going, well, this is just our safe little spot. No, it's, it's in person. It's with another family. It's with somebody else. And there's some desire in you that says, we want more people to be a part of this. Maybe that's why Jesus said go, because he needs to reenter the community again. Maybe it was for the priest because that seems to be the line that Jesus says as a testimony to them. This man shows up at the, at the, at the, at the temple and, and, and he, he's, he's been a leper and now he's not and they're proclaiming him clean and, 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 and he says, here's my story, here's who I used to be and their question is, well, how did this change? And he gets to say, his name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And then there's one more possibility. Jesus might have told him, to go do that, to just buy a little time. you say, what do you mean buy a little time? I mean the crowds are at this point already pressing in on Jesus to such a degree he almost can't navigate the territory. Some of them already want him dead and it ain't time for that yet. But here's what actually happens. Verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. In the gospel of Mark, Mark actually tells us the dude does not stay silent. He tells everybody. He tells everybody. Jesus said, don't tell. And he tells everybody, come on, can any of us actually blame him for that? I mean, anybody ready to go, I can't believe you didn't do what Jesus told you to do. The man has been his life he thought over. Suddenly, Jesus restores everything. Is kind of like some of you know when you met Jesus and he forgave you. And he brought you into his family. If that happens in you and you don't tell somebody, actually, I'm going to say if you don't want to tell everybody, the Bible would actually lead us to ask the question, did you really meet Jesus at all? Because those who actually meet him, and in the book of Acts, we'll find this out, they can't shut up. They can't stay silent about what has happened to them. But I want you to look at this next phrase because there's something packed in the middle of the two stories that I'm telling you today that is a, um, just a powerful tool. Um, verse 16 then says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Hmm, now that's interesting to me. Because we would call this, man, this is this is the kind of popularity that most people like fight their whole life to get. I mean, they want to be good at something so that people respond and crowds are drawn. Well, my goodness, it it says, right, this is a height of of popularity for Jesus. The crowds are huge, and what does he do? (laughs) He withdraws to a lonely place because he needs that connection with the heavenly father. Here's what I got for you today. This is just one of those tucked in the middle. Some of y'all are like, I, I, wish, I, wish, could, could, I wish I could find Jesus. Like, I, I, wish, I wish I could find him. If you want to find Jesus, I know of two places that you can always find him. One is on mission, <laughs> taking good news. To we found out last week the people who are spiritually poor, they're, they're spiritually blind, right? You you can find him taking good news to them. But then you can also find him in solitude, in prayer. In prayer. Throughout the scriptures, we see that picture. In fact, there was one last week. Of the same picture in Luke chapter 4 we didn't highlight it together last week some of you might have picked up on it when you were reading through the chapter but here's what it says in Luke chapter 4 verse 40 at sunset now at sunset it's time to what it's time to rest sunsets like it's the end of the day It's time to get a good meal. It's time to be able to kick back and probably put your feet up and rest. But watch this. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. It goes on to tell us the whole town showed up at sunset. Long line, and it says Jesus met each one. Each one. But watch this. Verse 42. At daybreak, <laughs> now I don't know how late Jesus goes, sunset, whole town, meeting with each one, but at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Wow. I'm telling you, the pattern is there over and over again. And when, when, the, when the gospel writers talk about Jesus going to a solitary place, it almost always will make reference to him going there to be able to pray. And in this case, I think it's not only to pray, but it's then out of that prayer to actually meet with people who feel like they are in solitary places. You ever felt like you were there? Check out this line. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Who is this for? Here's who it's for. This is a word for the spiritually lazy and the spiritually weary. There are some to whom I speak that are spiritually lazy. Here's what that looks like. You are not on the mission. Even though you've said, Jesus, I will follow you, you are not on a mission to take good news to those who need to hear it. But you are wondering, I just wonder why I can't feel the presence of Jesus. I just wonder why I never really sense his power in my life. For some of you, it might be that this last year, COVID interrupted some of your normal pattern of ministry like there may have been things that you did but because of COVID suddenly you couldn't do it and if you weren't careful you just sat down and didn't ask the question okay God I can't do that but what is it that you want for me what's right in front of me what what else God can you open my eyes to see to be on mission with you and if that's the case then this is your category It's spiritually lazy and you might be praying I'm saying okay you might be praying but Jesus is saying it's time for you to get up and follow me on mission now there are others of you who feel this I call it spiritually weary you know why you're weary because you're tired from being on mission with Jesus You say, well, if you're tired from being on mission with Jesus, you must have done something wrong. Where'd you read that? Can I tell you, sometimes being on mission with Jesus is tiring because it's difficult. Sometimes it's a fight. And sometimes, sometimes we feel kind of like Elijah did when he fights the big battle on Mount Carmel. But the next thing you know is he's feeling afraid and he's feeling depressed. But where does God meet him? In the cave on that mountain. And I'm saying some of you, what might need to happen in your life right now is there needs to be an understanding that you, you're, you're gonna stay on mission, but you also have to learn to pull away for times of just you and him. Just you and him. My question is, which one for you right now is the one that you need the most? They both should be going on all the time. Both all the time. But sometimes in our lives, we realize, man, I, I'm not walking this piece out. Which one is it for you? Not that wild. That's free. That's just like in the middle of these two stories. That one's free. For me, I needed it. Check out verse 27. Let's pick up the story again. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Matthew, anybody know what Matthew's other name is that we know in the Bible? Matthew, I said, I gave it to you. Levi, sorry, brain is working, is Matthew, all right? Matthew means gift of Jehovah. And so if Matthew had the choice, Matthew wants to be called Matthew. That's why when Matthew writes the gospel, he calls himself Matthew, but this is him. This is Levi, all right? The shocker is he's a tax collector. Now, here's here's the backdrop. The Romans would tax any people that they conquered. So, right now in history, the Romans had their thumb on Israel. They taxed them. They they would sell simply a, a tax franchise, if you will, to someone who would be paid by Rome to take taxes from the local people. So there would be an amount that was set and the tax collector every year had to get that amount of money back to the Roman government, but whatever he could collect above that, he also got to keep. So he had a salary, but he also got to keep it. This is no surprise. The Jewish people hated paying taxes to the Romans. Come on, you hate paying taxes. They hated it. In order to make this work, because nobody liked paying taxes, tax collectors usually had to have some thugs around them. Seriously, to where if I, the tax collector, came to you and you said I ain't paying my taxes, I would send my thugs and they would, I don't know, break your leg. Then you'd pay your taxes. If not, they'd break your other leg. That's how it worked. There was larceny, there was extortion, there was exploitation, and the Jews, so get this, the Jews who were willing to take a a tax franchise, they were the most hated among their people. Doesn't that make sense? If you would do that to your own people, Levi, Matthew is seen as a traitor. I'm telling you, even if he's really a good guy, all right? Even if Matthew doesn't actually cheat people, they believe he does because that's what comes with the whole tax collector, right? So, social perception. That, that's the, he, he was a religious outcast when he said, I'll be a tax collector. He forfeited his right to be able to go to the synagogue. He forfeited his right to be able to go to the temple and make sacrifices, in fact, we're told from history that most tax collectors had to keep their distance from any group of people because they were just so hated. Tax collectors in that day were really of two types. I got it for you today. Tax collectors were gabbi, think rabbi, but Gabi, that's how you say it, and Mokes, all right? Gabi and Mokes. Gabai were general tax collectors, like property taxes and income taxes and poll taxes, right? Those things were set typically by the government, and you couldn't skim a whole lot of extra money from it. But the Mokes, the Mokes collected imports and exports, things like tolls on bridges and roads and how many axles were on your transport wagon and and tariffs on letters and everything else, These were the boys who knew how to pad the prices. They would charge exorbitant rates. They were the ones that were most hated because they could make the most money. Zacchaeus, remember him? Wee little man, climbed up in a sycamore tree. You got him? Likely Zacchaeus was a Gabi because it says he was a chief tax collector. The Gabbi's typically stayed behind the scenes and ordered other people to do the dirty work. Levi, on the other hand, is likely a moak, because he manned a tax booth where he dealt with people face to face. And the story is Jesus notices him and says, follow me. And our question, if you had lived in that day, you on that day would have very seriously considered, is Jesus really who he claims to be? Because if he was, there is no way he would call this scum and I'm being nice, you would use other words. This scum to follow him. I'm telling you, that's how everybody would see it in that day. But Jesus knew Matthew's heart, a heart that apparently was broken, a heart that was penitent, and a heart that had faith. So get get this picture. The leper represents the oppressed, right? He didn't ask for that. But because of his leprosy, right, he's treated in isolation. He just, everything is oppressive to him. Levi, on the other hand, represents the oppressor. He's the one who's stealing from people. He's the one who's taking more than than likely that he should. Here's the big truth today. Jesus loves both. You're like, I like this story right up until now. Jesus loves both. Isn't it interesting that both the leper and Levi are isolated lives? The leper is isolated because of his disease and he can't be around anybody. Levi is isolated because of his oppression. And not only does nobody want to be around him, but he doesn't want to be around anybody either because they might take him out. And Jesus loves both. Watch what happens. Verse 28. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. (laughs) And at that moment is the end of Levi's tax career. Right there. Somebody is going to snap up that that tax franchise in a heartbeat. He's done. But real transformation happens in Levi's life. A new mind and a new will and a new heart. I mean, he did not seem to seek Jesus out like the leper did. And even like the paralyzed man did in in this same chapter. But, But Jesus knows Levi's heart. And when Jesus called to him, he responds immediately. And what a response. Verse 29, look at what happens. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, here they come, who belong to the sect, complain to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Come on, here's Levi, here's Matthew. There's a joy in his heart, and he desires to do what? Tell everybody. He's like, I, I, I'm going to tell everybody. That's the same response that the leper had, isn't it? I'm telling you, everybody who actually encounters Jesus, this is the response of their life. He knew that if the Savior could save him, then the Savior could save any of them. And so, big reception, right? Big, big house, which might have meant that Matthew was good at what he did, all right? And suddenly, though, he's spending his money to throw a party, to bring all of his sinful friends into a place where Jesus could influence them. We got little Mokes and big Mokes and Gabby, and I mean all the scum of Galilee has gathered in one little pond. What a scene. And they are dining. You ready with this? They are dining with the son of God. In the ancient Middle East, to recline at dinner with someone is to have fellowship with someone. It affirms a friendship, and it is this kind of moment that Jesus began to receive the the most hateful label that people could think to pin on him. He is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Don't you love it that tax collectors get their own category? Like everybody else's sin is bad, but the tax collectors, they're like their own category of sin, man. And Jesus became their friend. The religious leaders of that day would never get over the fact that Jesus offered fellowship to those who were the worst while condemning the religious leaders. Those leaders had morality, but they didn't understand holiness. They cared about the externals. They cared about how people saw them Look at Jesus' response in verse 31. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you understand that what we are reading today, this is what makes Christianity distinct? Every other religion in the world will promise a relationship with God to good people. Become good people, you can have a relationship with God. Christianity is different, and Matthew knew that. Levi knew that. That's why on one occasion, we're going to end with this. Levi, Matthew, in his gospel, wrote these words that you know he never forgot Jesus' say. Jesus said to them, so Matthew's telling this story. Here's what Jesus said Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Woo! And there was silence in the crowd. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Again, it is the uniqueness of the gospel. Jesus comes to save the lost. He comes to save those who knew they could never be good enough. The religious people had a hard time giving up their religion because it's hard to give up your self-righteousness. And if you think that your religious acts are you self-satisfying, what it means to be good enough to have a relationship with God, you need to hear Jesus said, the only people reconciled to God are those who cry out to him in desperation, humility, and faith. Good news, good news of Jesus stands alone. The way of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is incompatible with any other religious system in the world, even Judaism. Do you recognize your need for Jesus? It begins just like Jesus said in a moment of repentance and faith. Repentance means to turn, to turn from my sin to him. And the faith is me saying I entrust my life to the one who died in my place. His blood shed. That when people see my life going forward, the only reason I live is because he died and rose again. Repentance and faith. And it starts in a moment. For some of you, that could start today. Like any time, you simply can bow your life before him to say, God, I want you. Jesus, I, I need you. I'm turning to you. And the best I know how, I want to entrust my life to you. I want to follow you. And the rest of our life becomes continual repentance and faith. I'm always turning to him, trusting in him. Today, you can do that you can. We're going to sing one more song today just to kind of process where we're at, but I got two questions for you. But first, you know that. So get out your phone, get your piece piece of paper, pen if you do that, whatever. Um, I, I want you to answer a couple of questions for me. We try to answer a couple of questions every week. God, here's what you give us. What do we do with this? Here's the first question. Is there someone in your life who is the oppressed, or the oppressor that you have been avoiding? Is there someone in your life, in your circle, that is either the oppressed or the oppressor that you are avoiding? Sometimes we avoid the oppressed because it is messy. It's messy. There are needs. Sometimes we avoid the the oppressor because we just don't want to deal with them. I want us to realize that this is bigger than you just withholding you, though. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is about you withholding the good news of Jesus. It will be messy. But will you pray that God will send someone to the oppressed or to the oppressor? And will you pray that you would be willing to be the someone? Second question is this. You're like, I think that was seven. It might have been, but here's my second question. Currently, do you need to join Jesus more in prayer or in the mission? Now, again, I want to be clear. Both are what we're called to all the time, a daily, a daily routine of both. We're on mission and we are in prayer. My, my, my question is simply today, have you been spiritually lazy you're taking your time. You might even be praying, but you're not on mission with Him. Is that where you need to go? Or do you find yourself tired because you are in mission and you've been neglecting that time just being with your Heavenly Father? Could be either one. Which one do you need the most? And what are you going to do this week to change? God, I thank you for a truth from your word that there is nobody too messy and there is nobody too oppressive that you do not love. God, I pray that you would make our heart more like yours and how we see the people around us God, when we see people who hurt and when we see people who hurt others, God, would you put within our heart a compassion and yet a boldness that we will stand and we will proclaim a good news that changes all who will respond in faith. God, I, I pray for your kids today who, who some, God, they need to rest. Some, they need that time with you. God, others, you are calling them to get up and, and it's time to walk out the mission. Will you give us clarity and boldness today to do what you tell us to do? And God, I pray for those who right now, God, wherever they are right now, need to call out to you in desperation and humility and faith that they might know in a God who loves and hears and touches and heals and embraces. Thank you, God, for speaking into our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we come to you just as we are.